0: love what you hear be sure to check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes insights and even our D adventure hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Welcome back
1: to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker.
0: And I'm going to say and a bunch.
1: And
0: what do we got cooking today? And today we are bringing you a staple in the Xbox community. A staple for the Xbox 360 and a staple in the third-person, kind of over-the-shoulder shooters.
1: Yeah, man, we've got a game, it's got Gears, and it's got War.
0: And of course, we're talking about <laughs> Halo. <laughs> yeah. No, we're actually we're bringing over uh, what is now known as Epic Games, their kind of pinnacle into the console realm, and a game that was controversial in the ways that we're seeing, I guess, blood and guts and gore at the time, that was was kind of pushed back upon, but in the end, got the final go-ahead for their final build, uh, which definitely pushed the envelope, at least at you know this time, with the turn of the next-gen console. And Xbox 360
1: is such a great console. I've said in the past, the Nintendo 64 just has a special place in my heart, uh, probably just for the nostalgia alone. But the Xbox 360, man, so many great IPs, and mm-hmm. I think without Gears of War... It wouldn't have gotten off to the hot start that it did.
0: No, no, no. This was definitely one that needed this as a launch title. We're going to talk about it a bit. You know, it 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 definitely needed it because we were not going to have Halo for another couple years for the 360. So they needed some hot new IP that could somewhat fill that void, kind of fill that shooter void, fill that Microsoft specific void, and
1: uh, that's exactly what gears brought us. Gears of War was developed by Epic Games and published by Microsoft Game Studios, initially as an exclusive title for the Xbox 360 on November 7, 2006, before a Microsoft Windows version of the game was released in 2007. The game's main story, which could be played in single or cooperative play, focuses on a squad of troops who assist in completing a desperate, last-ditch attempt to end a war against a genocidal subterranean enemy, the Locust and save the remaining human inhabitants of the planet Sarah. The game's multiplayer mode allows up to eight players to control characters from one of the two factions in a variety of online game modes. Gameplay features
0: players using cover and strategic fire in order to win battles. And this was a game that did shift that landscape. You know, talking about the cover system, talking about this over-the-shoulder, uh, kind of cameraman in the woodwork type idea, like that, that kind of shaky cam. That definitely changed the ideas that was around at that time and brought about a cover system that we do still see today, you know, that we're still seeing in like modern games like GTA 5, you know, that we're going to see that allow that over the shoulder rig to plan what's going on while also seeing the rest of the terrain. So it it was definitely a shift in it. And let's let's jump over to Epic Games. You know, most of us, I think a lot of you younger crowd out there know it for Fortnite, For the Epic Games Store, you know, for these newer titles they have, but they had started a long time ago. Epic Games Inc. is an American video game and software developer and publisher based in Cary, North Carolina. The company was founded by Tim Sweeney as Potomac Computer Systems in 1991, originally located in his parents' house in Potomac, Maryland. So yeah, he started this as the sole employee and uh, tried to, you know, he tried his hand. Let's say. Following his first commercial video game release ZZT in 1991, the company became Epic Mega Games Inc. And Sweeney came up with Epic Mega Games, a name which incorporated Epic and Mega to make it sound like it was a larger, more reputable company, you know, something like id Software <laughs> or uh Apogee Software at the time, cuz he was like looking at them, seeing these amazing titles they were creating and he's like I got to <laughs> I got to <laughs> Fake it till I make it, including my company's name. Yeah, genius. And honestly, <laughs> it paid off because, you know, in 1992, Sweeney brought on Mark Ryan, who is the company's vice president to date, and he was brought in to handle a lot of the business side of it. So the accounting, uh, all of the logistics, and he actually came over from id Software. So oh. the name sold right at the beginning. <laughs> and it would not take long for the studio to start growing. Later that same year, the studio brought on 17-year-old designer Cliff Blazinski after he submitted his game to the company, Dare to Dream. Although Dare to Dream did not achieve a great success, it led Blazinski to work on Jazz Jackrabbit, a platformer co-developed by Demoscene coder Arjun Brucey. The title, which came out in 1994, became Epic's biggest-selling game at the time, earning him enough money to buy his first apartment And Car. By the end of the
1: year, the studio had over 30 employees. In 1998, Epic would release Unreal, led by Blazinski and James Schmals, an extremely popular online multiplayer shooter in the late 90s. The company also began to license the core technology, the Unreal Engine, to other game developers. In February 1999, Epic Mega Games announced that they had moved their headquarters to a new location in Cary, North Carolina. It would henceforth be known as simply epic games ryan explained that unreal was first created by developers who were scattered across the world eventually the team came together to finish the game and that's when the real magic started the move to north carolina centralizes epic bringing all of the company's talented developers under one roof furthermore Sweeney stated that the mega part of the name was dropped because they no longer wanted to pretend to be a big company, as was the original intention of the name when it was a one-man team. The follow-up game, Unreal Tournament, shipped to critical
0: acclaim the same year, at which point the studio had 13 employees. So yeah, so it's bounced back and forth, you know, as the teams continue to build. And, you know, for all the old dogs out there, this is where you know Epic, which is Unreal and Unreal Tournament. Which was one of those first super high paced fast energy arena shooters. And Unreal, I mean, to date, is is still one of those games that people clamber for. It's it's just so fun. And you have a lot of homages to it. And I don't know if you've ever played uh Screen Cheat. I have not. It takes okay, so it takes the idea of you know, you and I sitting down to play Unreal or Goldeneye and you could see each other's screen. Mm. Well, in screen cheat, you can't see the enemies, so you have to look at other people's screens to see where they are oh. and then shoot in that general direction. So it gives you that fast-paced arena energy, but you can't see anyone, so you gotta cheat. <laughs> I like that. So like it leads- Yeah. It's a super fun game, and it leads to games like that. So on- on Unreal, again, is is a huge staple that we saw way back when, Fortnite being kind of that bookend to like the end of that arena style for them, and then bringing on that Battle Royale, still getting that arena bit to it. So there's there's definitely a lot that, that Epic's delivering. Around 2006, the personal computer
1: video game market was struggling with copyright infringement in the form of software piracy, and it became difficult to make single-player games, elements which had been part of Epic's business model to that point. The company decided to shift focus into developing on console systems, a move which Sweeney called the start of the third major iteration of the company, aka Epic 3.0. This led the company to partner with
0: Microsoft to develop Gears of War. Yeah, so it, it brings that shift over to the console market, over to the idea of, okay, people are losing a lot of money right now, you know, to all these pirated games, to making it you know, people out there understanding how to crack games, making it easier to just put them out there. So they said, all right, we need to go console-wise because it's not impossible, but it's so hard to do any of that type of stuff. And you can get these bigger backers behind you producing directly for their hardware.
1: And it's crazy to think that um theft was so bad that they were forced to to do this move. But at the end of the day, like... It helps, right? I mean, we we may have not seen Gears of War on the Xbox 360. We might not have gotten this really cool Microsoft IP. I mean, how different mm-hmm. would the Xbox
0: 360 have been? So out of a bad thing, a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and if we had just seen it on the computer, would we have even seen it at all? Would it have just been this interesting kind of shooter at the time that just faded away? Because with Microsoft backing it, it became... As I had stated, a staple, especially for the 360 and, and further systems as more iterations of it came out, but it became a staple on it. You know, Xbox 360 and even part of Xbox and obviously the the future console generations were known as more of a mature console. You know, it was known for those shooters, for a lot of those M-rated games, for a lot more of the story-narrative shooters. So this started that trend to kind of boost up Halo sales, boost up Microsoft sales. And make Xbox 360 the the, the king, the powerhouse that it was in that that iteration. Absolutely. So let's jump over to the early stages of development and how Gears really came about. Epic Games would start to work on what would be known as Gears of War around the year 2000. The game started as a more class-based battlefield-like game that was very focused on multiplayer, titled Unreal Warfare, allowing players to battle in giant arenas against both other players and AIs the enemies for the game were going to be called the Geists, but Nintendo already owned that copyright. After senior management would shoot the idea for the game down, Epic would put the project on the back burner to work on Unreal Tournament 2003, 2004, and then Unreal Tournament 3. By the time Epic would return to Unreal Warfare in 2003, things were changing. Games were becoming more focused on single-player experiences with story. The studio knew that Unreal Warfare needed to change and fast. It also did not help that Battlefield 1942 had been released, essentially doing everything Epic wanted to do originally with Unreal Warfare. So you already had, you know, these other major IPs and titles coming out and 1942, fantastic game. And like they said, you already took that arena style shooter out that they were trying to do and did it well. That's the issue. (laughs) <laughs> like, ooh, it's already, it's pretty good. Yeah, if it sucked, I mean, maybe a different story. But yeah, that game was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, and having the Battlefield tag behind it, you know, it's, it's synonymous with the Call of Duty and all these others. You know, it's, it's a household name, so it's really tough to go around that. So the first thing that they wanted to do was change the name. You know, they couldn't stick with warfare. They couldn't stick with, you know, Unreal Warfare. And so they had to change and get something that stuck. They would continue to throw around some other names, and soon the only word that remained was war. Eventually, they settled on Gears of War, and this being that the Gears and Cogs play a huge part in the naming of the soldiers, the naming of, kind of the convention of the military, so that tied into the name overall. During this time, they were also trying to figure out what the game was even going to be about. A lot of the ideas for Gears of War would come from the mind of lead designer Cliff Blazinski. At the time, he had been playing a Medal of Honor game and felt that Epic could do something along these lines but improve upon it. Epic would also work with Eric Nylan, who we know from like the Halo series of writing the books, to bring on the narrative side of the game, and they also worked with Susan O'Connor to help write the game's story. The game
1: started out as a first-person shooter, but Blazinski wanted to shift it to a third person to better show off the graphics. They would then emulate Resident Evil 4's over-the-shoulder view as a working model. Later on, senior designer Lee Perry would show Blazinski a PS2 game, Killswitch, which had a unique cover system. He then paired this idea with Bionic Commando's point-to-point system. From there, Epic hired Killswitch's lead designer, Chris Asaki, to join the Gears of War project. Epic had a head start on the game, using the Unreal Engine 3. More work could be focused on the gameplay itself, rather than extensively modifying an engine. The engine also helped reduce the amount of loading screens in the game significantly. I remember loading screen things being a huge point of emphasis with the Xbox 360. I mean, that was really like the first time I saw the cross between PC and console where you could actually download the games
0: onto the console to to help speed all that stuff up. Yeah, you started to get that idea of having these larger save files that when you pop the disk in, It wouldn't have the full downloads you're seeing on like the modern consoles uh, with Xbox One or the Series X or the PlayStation 5, but it would take those chunks and and give you a better loading screen, loading time, and a lot of this actually ended up coming out of Epic. Uh, Epic played a major role in some of the hardware changes that cost Microsoft some money, but it made the console a better system, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on on What was epic's influence over the 360 and kind of how much pull they could swing with microsoft you know coming in fresh with this title but being like listen man we're your launch title for the most part we get to say a few things here so it's going to be interesting that as we talk about that later
1: right microsoft decided that they were going to release their next gen console a year before the ps3 but they had a problem halo 3 wasn't set to come out until 2007 two years after the launch of the Xbox 360. They needed something to drive fans to purchasing the console, so they looked to Gears of War. Epic had always prided themselves in working on PC-exclusive games, but Microsoft offered them a deal they couldn't resist, and Epic signed with them, making Gears of War an exclusive for the Xbox 360. The game was set to release quarter four of 2006, which would be the last holiday season before Sony
0: and Nintendo unleash their next gen consoles. With the deals set, Microsoft would bring in producer Rod Ferguson. Producers were not really a thing in Epic Games at the time. They operated under this philosophy that best idea wins. But Ferguson, you know, would say, "Hey, listen. You're at a corporate structure now. <laughs> we got to make sure that this launches on time and we got to make sure things are working correctly." And he actually enjoyed this a lot more with Epic and left Microsoft to just join the studio. Epic decided co-op was the second most important feature that needed to be in the game after establishing cinematic narrative. They wanted a social experience with Gears of War, blurring the line between the campaign and multiplayer. This is why they implemented the system allowing anyone to join your game without having to stop the mission or wait for a loading screen. However, Even if you decide to play alone, you still have friendly NPCs with you the whole time. Having a team element was important to Epic, as they felt that games such as Halo, Splinter Cell, and Rainbow Six had not really gotten co-op multiplayer down all the way.
1: And I agree with that to a certain extent, because you got to play as two different characters within Gears of War in the campaign, whereas with Halo, you just have another Master Chief clone, And it feels fun, you know, between you and your friends or however you're playing it, maybe just with some rando online. But to actually have a squad with you um, was always a lot of fun in the Gears games.
0: Yeah, and you see that implemented in Halo 5. Because like you said, in Halo, you got either a clone of Master Chief, you got the Arbiter or another Elite if you're playing 2. And in 5, they take that squad system. Because within squad systems... You know, in Gears, you can go down and you can actually have an an NPC or a player controlled squad mate come over and revive you, give you covering fire and implement a lot more into the game that would help with those aspects. And as you and I both know and have discussed, this
1: game actually is, in my opinion, so much harder without having that friend with you to come over and um, help you up because you have to start totally over if you don't have that real life friend with you.
0: Yeah, so if, if you fully go down, or if your, your full squad goes down, you go back to your last save checkpoint, uh, depending on the difficulty settings you have, you know that may
1: be a, a grind. In the later stages of development, we get to designing the iconic Marcus Phoenix, who, you know, it, unfortunately, as it is with a lot of character design, it didn't come that naturally. The character went through six or seven design iterations before they finally settled on the final version. All of this took roughly a year. John DiMaggio, most famously known for his roles as Bender in Futurama and Jake the Dog in Adventure Time, was cast for the role. Epic would rely heavily on motion capture for the game, but they would change some things up in the traditional sense. They wanted the camera in the game to feel as though a cameraman was following the characters
0: around, giving it a more cinematic tone. Yeah, giving it that war feel, that kind of war photographer feel to it, that they're, you know, they're, they're following you around, they're kind of shooting this epic documentary of what's going on and that's where you get that shaky cam coming into it uh whenever you hit your your sprints and your runs and so that's where a lot of the third person changes came in as opposed to kill switch or bionic commando giving it like you said that more cinematic tone we even see that in the environments, the coloring at the time that they choose And that's why, again, they wanted to show off those graphics, that grandioseness they put into the game. I always just imagine it's actually Lakitu, Super Mario 64 style. (laughs) Yeah, it's just following around with the cloud. That's why it's so shaky, because he's got it on that fishing rod. Hey, it's understandable. (laughs) So Epic was working night and day to get the game presentable for E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. They needed to sell everyone at the convention, but they were dealing with a number of issues. Roughly 20 days out, Co-op was not functional and the game was crashing consistently. The game was going through so many iterations, even down to the layouts of the levels. There were even some heated meetings with Microsoft leading up to E3. Microsoft wanted the Lancer's chainsaw to have toned down gore or be cut entirely. Epic felt that it needed to be a weapon that will work best over your grenades and melee, so it needed to be this weapon that was the king to go in. It was the iconic weapon. Halo had the energy sword for that kind of close combat melee, and this chainsaw needed to be that style of weapon. The Lancer was created out of lead designer Cliff Blazinski's curiosity on what a gun would be like with a chainsaw. So, (laughs) you know, it's as creative as can be, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it was supposed to be essentially like a futuristic bayonet. And at one point, the Lancer was cut from the game you know, due to Microsoft, but Epic's deal with Microsoft allowed the company to retain full ownership of the game, so the gun was put back in. So yeah. It was, yeah. So Microsoft was more so kind of the publisher step-parent <laughs> that didn't really get control over what was happening. They were just kind of like, this is coming to our system, we we're helping to publish it, But at the end of the day, you know, it is your call. Yeah. Way to go, lawyers. Good call. Good call,
1: lawyers. I mean, I definitely understand Microsoft's fear. I think they changed it a little bit after Gears 1. But essentially, when you chainsaw people, their body just exploded. It was like their legs were gone. They just became like this meat mush thing. I, I I mean, some might
0: say giblets giblets so yes i might say you get some meaty <laughs> giblets out of that it, it was and it was it was one of those things that i guess on a rating of you know jumpstart first grade to mortal combat it was more on that mortal combat sliding scale and i think that's what their fear was they didn't want this parents coming after them why does my kid have a chainsaw gun now trying to chase his friends around you know they didn't want that idea floating around <laughs> you know to be safe but all in all it's It is what it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you think about the violence in Halo, which they really would have preferred as their launch title, Mm -hmm. and then they're doing this one instead, and it's like, man, this is uh, real gory, and we want kids to buy this game, even though it's going to be 17 and up. I see the
0: concern, but I'm glad that they put it back in. Go lawyers. You needed it. And so seven days before E3, Employees were working mandated 10-hour days for the next five days lead up, and at least four-hour days on Saturday and Sunday. Some were working you know, just throughout the night just to get this thing playable. Epic tried to make the crunch time as bearable as possible for the team, bringing in massage therapists and buying them lunch every day. Within that seven-day stretch, the game was improving. And two days before E3, Epic's president, Michael Caps was going to pull multiplayer from the game due to some major ui elements missing the team would work 48 hours straight to make it work when blazinski finally presented the game at e3 it was a success bill gates even met with blazinski after the presentation to congratulate him gates told him that they were counting on them to ship the game by fall of 2006 and bill gates even came up and said hey blazinski i love the chainsaw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's just like one of those like hard to heart moments where it's like Billy G's got my back, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely,
1: that'll give you some confidence going forward, I would say. Oh, absolutely. The game cost around $10 million to develop, a budget roughly 30 to 40% less than the AAA games at the time. There was an ongoing joke that Gears of War cost Microsoft $1 billion. This was due to the fact that Epic insisted that the Xbox 360. Ship with a 512 megabyte instead of the original 256 megabyte of memory during the development of the console. They showed Microsoft a screenshot of the game running on 256 MB, and obviously it was hindering the game. Microsoft would budge and increase the size to 512 MB, but not before the CFO of Microsoft would call Rain and tell him, I just want you to know, you cost me a billion dollars. Rain would reply with, we did a favor for a billion gamers. And this led to less Xbox 360 consoles being available at launch, which is, um, I mean, we're, we're dealing with that now with the PlayStation 5 and the new Xbox. It's already hard enough to get enough consoles out there to keep everyone happy, to get it to all the customers and and really have a successful launch. So for this to hinder the launch of the console in any way, I could definitely see it
0: costing them a lot of money. Yeah, and I mean, you know, resetting those chip slots, you know, to have, instead of 256, you're doubling it at 512. However, that basically beefs up the amount of memory the console can access to process those cutscenes, to process those loading times, to process just running a game. And... You know, it cost them a billion, but it made them a billion when you can run Halo 3 off of that, Halo 4, ODST, Forza, uh, all these like essential titles that Microsoft had, as well as to compete with the PS3. I mean, the PlayStation has been known to have better hardware for a long time for a lot of their consoles. So you had to have something that pushes that, that accelerates it, that gets above them. And it's just crazy to think,
1: like we said at the beginning of the episode, how much a game like Gears of War, which wasn't even supposed to be an Xbox 360 exclusive, actually impacted the longevity of that console. I mean, mm-hmm. I, the more and more that we looked into this game and the impact that it had on the Xbox 360, like I'm not entirely sure that that console is as successful, nearly
0: as successful. It, it wouldn't have been. And, and, and to have this makes sense. And so let's talk about the other thing that really pushed Gears to the top that I think cemented Gears in a lot of people's minds, and that's the marketing. And so Microsoft had a lot of big marketing plans for Epic's Gears of War. And this was at the time, the most amount of money they would put behind a new IP that they did not own. They needed to outshine the PS3 with Gears of War and, you know, outshine like God of War, outshine all of these major Sony titles that were going to be there. Blazinski stated that this was the first time in his 14 year career that he was satisfied with a publisher's job marketing a game he was working on, stating, quote, they came in with giant nuts and swung for the fences. They called it out like babe. So, so you know, he's, he's all in. Babe, microsoft, that's babe uh, ruth for all
1: the uh non-baseball fans out there uh no that that is babe the pig i believe <laughs> i think
0: he's talking more like babe the pig just babe. swinging for the fences the famous yankee babe exactly babe the pig. microsoft was even putting ads in subways and hanging up 150 foot banners to further promote the game at different conventions like e3 games con uh, just a lot of PR and marketing to get it out there. And and one thing that they started with that was an exclusive in some of these uh, titles that you could get was the promotional videos. Microsoft produced a 30-minute documentary titled Gears of War, The Race to E3 that aired on MTV2 on May 19th, 2006 to promote the game. The program was produced in a reality TV style and featured Cliff Blazinski, Epic Games president Mike Caps and producer Rod Ferguson in the weeks leading up to the Gears of War gameplay reveal at the Xbox media briefing at E3 2006. The program captures several stressful moments, including Xbox executive Peter Moore's decision and desire to remove the chainsaw rifle from the E3 demo days before the show. The chainsaw, or the Lancer, remained, and after the demo was given, Bill Gates confided to Blazinski, quote, I love that chainsaw. So this is all a documentary you can actually just view on YouTube now or download. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to see, you know, it's shot this way. And we don't, I guess we still get transparency from some production companies, but not of this caliber. I
1: remember this being a really big thing for games at the time, uh, seeing the development cycles. Even just buying games a lot of times now where there's an option to go and look at the credits or something like that. I remember Mm -hmm. a lot of games having videos of their designers at work or the programmers and just talking about certain things within the game. And I'm glad that they did that. And I wish that they did more of that. Or maybe I just need to look a little bit harder to see it. But I definitely remember a lot of this stuff actually being packaged with games. Obviously, that wasn't the case for Gears.
0: But it was for a lot of games at the time. And you you see a little bit less. It's more like um, community post updates or, you know, like what Blizzard does is they'll have the community manager come on and they'll talk about all the changes in the game. But it's more so post launch. It's more so what content is being added or changed and less so of like those hectic 14 hour days where you've got 17 Chinese food containers around you. As you're trying to like finish this one animation. I mean, it's very possible. And I'm just speculating here that in some
1: situations, it is really, really stressful. And so they just don't want to record that stuff anymore because it's not going to show the studio in the greatest light. Just speculating entirely. But with the rumors around some of these launches, it wouldn't surprise me at
0: all. And and the whole shift to corporate. You know, a lot of these did this on like their first early games where it was more just kind of like, a group of friends building this stuff so you just had someone with a camera like messing with you you know just doing these little post interview fun things you still see some of it especially indie devs do a lot more of that now because it still is that like incredibly stressful incredibly taxing but it's still friends getting together to create this really fun thing that i think everyone really wants to see you want to see those blood sweat and tears that go into this art piece that you're making that i get to consume
1: it's just really fun to see that absolutely Let's talk about another piece of promo that, really, this has stuck with me through the years. It was the Mad World trailer. The Gears of War television ad reveals Marcus Phoenix alone in the ruined streets of Sarah as he moves to avoid threats that appear throughout a dark and deserted city. The spot was widely praised and has been described as one of the most iconic game trailers of the last decade. The spot, set to the Gary Jules cover of Mad World and directed by Joseph Kaczynski, is melancholy and reflective in tone, and was a significant departure for video game advertising at the time, especially a fast-paced shooter game. Visual effects company Digital Domain created the visuals inside the Unreal Engine 3 game engine, the same engine that powered Gears of War on the Xbox 360. While the spot was pre-rendered, the production method gave consumers an accurate preview of the game's textures and subtle facial expressions. The popularity of the commercial built a bigger audience for Mad World, which would reach the number one spot on iTunes five years after it was initially recorded. The melody remains heavily associated with the Gears of War franchise and was later adopted
0: into the soundtrack of Gears of War 3. This, for me, I think was also maybe one of the most important selling features for Gears. You know, for a realistic-ish style shooter that was kind of drab and gray and bleak at the time that was kind of what a lot of people were doing but the mad world trailer set to you know just that sad melancholy song as like marcus phoenix is alone running through these streets with these beautiful cinematic shots it really and like you said it sticks with you it's a trailer that's stuck with you It wasn't like a bang, 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 pew, pew, pew. Hey, we're out here doing cool things. (laughs) You know, it was just this sad thing about being alone against like this overwhelming odds enemy. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say,
1: man. We talked about this as just a last ditch effort to fight off these locusts. Instead of showing like a bunch of epic explosions, action gameplay, it just shows it was just like black and white, if I remember right. Just very somber. Marcus Phoenix entirely alone and running through these streets just to a a really slow sad song and that was the state of the world in this game and you wouldn't have fully i think gotten that feeling without seeing this commercial maybe if it had just been a more traditional gameplay commercial you you just you wouldn't have i think as big of an emotional tie but no that definitely like opened up the story, and I think a little bit more of Marcus Phoenix being a complicated character, not necessarily just like Duke Nukem style. Like I'm just here to kick ass, and they probably didn't have bubble gum, but
0: yeah, Sarah, Sarah was out of bubble gum. They, you, you see the shops, and they're obviously gone. It, no, you're right. I, I fully agree with that. You know, stating they needed that because they needed to sell that this game also had story behind it. You know, their number one thing they wanted was that narrative driven story. And then gunplay and and you know mechanics right behind that. And they've they've done well with that. And in, in my opinion, y'all have different ones with this. I think Gears has done pretty excellent throughout the other iterations of the game, keeping that story going, keeping the linear story that's just between like Marcus, Dom, Cole, Baird, changing it up and changing up what happens with it. And the Mad Word trailer, I think, it was perfect. Just ending on that, like, mad world. Like, at the end of it, just, sh- like, that grandiose shot at the end really showcased what this was. And just, like, this hellscape and and roughness to Sarah. And they're really fighting for nothing but everything. And they just did so well with it. Yeah. it's It's definitely a game
1: where you are, even after you win, so much has just been lost already. Mm-hmm. So... It was, it was definitely a good choice. I don't know who made the choice for that song in particular, but fantastic choice. And great oh, cover, yeah. too. Oh, yeah.
0: And, and next up is a f- full change from that. We had the Match Made in Hell tour. <laughs> this multi-event promotion tied in several companies to promote Gears of War. The first being AMC. Four theaters hosted a pre-release screening of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, where afterwards fans in the audience could demo Gears of War on the big screen. The next promotion was a ghoul party in LA at the Hollywood Cemetery promoting the game. And the final event was a partnership with Six Flags during their Fright Frest event. Say try to say that five times fast. Fright Frightfest uh, Fright Fresh from French. <laughs> <laughs> the band Megadeth would have a small, quick concert at Six Flags to debut their new song, Gears of War. I, I want to know how quick this concert was. They just like brought in some gear that happened to be there. Behind like a roller coaster is like, hey, we're Mega Death. Here's Gears of War. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you guys later. Have a great night.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, so so yeah, definitely definitely a shift from the somberness of the trailer to like more of like that like. Grittiness, yeah. you know, kind of like, oh yeah, let's get out there with these fans, have some fun with it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hey, guess what, guys? We also have a chainsaw. On
1: top of that, there was a Emergence Day event. This was an online tournament starting November 12 thousand and six, for Xbox Live Gold members in North America. The grand prize was a Gears of War branded guitar. Microsoft would also hold hourly giveaways as well during the release of the game. Derek, we gotta we gotta track that down for you. The Gears of War guitar. Yeah, yeah, man. I've I've been searching for this thing for years since 2006. <laughs> I came in second that tournament. My and it's <laughs> been with me ever since. My goal is to record a cover of Megadeth's "Gears of War" with the Gears of War branded guitar at that Six Flags. <laughs> Let's go at Six. Yeah, at Six Flags.
0: <laughs> I want I want all the commotion around me as well of just someone yelling about not getting a too big of a turkey leg. And just someone vomiting on a coaster behind me. That's 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 the mega death I need.
1: I don't know if we have a, an official community name yet. Finish the fighters. I need you to mobilize. Please find me this Gears of War guitar.
0: Yeah, please please track it down um, as legally as possible. Yeah. Meet me but, at but, Six but, Flags. But, but, hey, you guys can all do what you
1: gotta do. record with me. Let's have fun. <laughs>
0: oh man all right let's move over let's talk about the campaign so if, if you've played through the game or not played through the campaign or not really understood what the story was let's talk about what this game is set as where we're what we're doing and who survives the end of this so gears of war takes place on the planet sarah a liquid called emulsion became a highly valuable power source after a scientist discovered how to use it and the economic shockwave led to several wars between nations. The Coalition of Ordered Governments, or COG, originally existed only as an obscure world government philosophy, but it evolved into a legitimate, though minor, political party during the 79 year long pendulum, or pendulum wars. The soldiers of the COG are called Gears. Makes sense. After Emergence Day, or E Day, when the locusts began their attack on humanity, the Cog were the ones who took the necessary steps to ensure the survival of human civilization, instituting martial law and taking charge of the effort against the Locust. Fourteen years later, the Cog is the only human government left on Sarah. One year after E-Day, after losing battle after battle against the Locust, the Cog made the greatest sacrifice using the Hammer of Dawn on human cities, giving the citizens of Sarah three days to evacuate to the Jacinto Plateau the only place Locust could not dig through before going through with the attack. The game's plot begins 14 years after E-Day,
1: when the Locust horde overran and killed many COG soldiers and civilians, declaring war against humanity. Marcus Phoenix, a former COG soldier, is reinstated into the military after spending four years in prison for abandoning his military post in order to make a vain attempt to save his father, Adam Phoenix. Dominic, or Dom, Santiago, Marcus's best friend and fellow cog, successfully extracts Phoenix from the prison and takes him to meet Delta Squad. The group seeks to obtain the Resonator, a device that will map the Hollow, which are the caverns which the locusts inhabit, and later deploy the Light Mass Bomb, which will destroy the heart of the locust forces inside the Hollow. Phoenix and his allies recover the device, but suffer multiple casualties in the process including Anthony Carmine and squad leader Kim. Fleeing Ram's forces, Phoenix leads the remaining soldiers through the ruins of Ephira to claim a Junker APC,
0: drive to a mining facility, and finally into the planet's depths. Rest in peace, Carmine. Rest in peace, Kim. Carmine's great. So if you don't know, Carmine is kind of always a masked soldier that we never get to see, but we actually see a lot of Gears who unfortunately just don't have the last name Carmine. Let's just say that.
1: And squad leader Kim, when he dies, he, he sort of gets caught by surprise by Ram. Mm-hmm. And this is what ultimately leads to Marcus Phoenix kind of becoming the leader from that point. He goes from disgraced Cog to now leader of the Delta squad, and that's where things start to get really real.
0: Yeah, because cause Ram is kind of like this, this giant locust. He's like the boss locust, this big buff one who kind of takes over and is, is operating this entire section where we are set right now. And so Ram's kind of this big dude, takes him out. And we continue on with Delta Squad successfully detonating the Resonator. But the device fails to map enough of the tunnel network. They discover a larger map of the network that originates from Phoenix's old home, specifically his father's laboratory. The group ventures to the Phoenix estate at East Barricade Academy, where Phoenix originally attempts to rescue his father. When they arrive, Delta encounters heavy Locust resistance. After collecting the data, the group fights their way past Locust forces and boards a train carrying the light mass bomb. Phoenix and Santiago battle their way through the train and are able to defeat General Ram before uploading the data. Fully activated, the light mass bomb launches into the hollow and eradicates the Locust tunneling networks. In the game's final sequence, Hoffman, who's kind of your, your general, or kind of like the overall guy, delivers a victory speech as the tunnels collapse and explode, whereupon the voice of the Locust Queen promises that the Locust will continue to fight onward despite their losses. So this is, so this is kind of the, the trope of many kind of action things. You thought General Ram was your main villain, and it's like, uh-oh, Locust Queen is like, no, 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 no. You know, you may have won this major battle today, but we will continue. And this light mass bomb, when it goes
1: off, it's literally just this transparent sort of force field thing. Think like the uh, Avengers endgame sequence where they have just the the clear see-through shield sort of deal, except it's exploding outward. You're seeing all Mm -hmm. these locusts kind of fly through the tunnels, and you think you finally defeated them all. But, of course... There are many other gears games so as you could imagine that wasn't necessarily the case.
0: No, but I I thought it was a great ending to set it up, you know, for future titles. Like oh, you've, yeah. you've this story has nice bookends and then leads into like next chapter. That's what I love about it. And you kind of
1: know that going into it because some of the the character development within the game is Marcus Phoenix once he goes back to his dad's laboratory, you know, he's kind of remembering things about his life and mm-hmm. um Dominic is still searching for his wife and, you know, there's gonna be other elements to these characters that you need to explore in further Gears games. And that's one of my favorite things. I mean, that's where they really did well with the cinematic aspects, in my opinion. Yes.
0: And and I love that you can speculate on some of why these characters either join in or help, you know, with Dom rescuing Marcus, it's kind of like, Hey man, I need you. I'm your best friend. You know, we need to work together, but it's also kind of like, Hey man, I need to find my wife and you're one of the only people that I know I can trust that will help me with that mission because I know what you've done. And you know me, like we've been friends. So there's, there's really cool speculations on that. And then obviously, you know, we meet the coal train. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, baby fantastic character was it was it specifically football he played or was like a future sport i don't remember
1: it was a future sport it was called thrash ball
0: that's right thrash ball thrash
1: ball and so they're they're kind of starstruck when they run into cole which is
0: uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's so good yeah cole is just basically because like i love when they first meet up with him because he's just like one man armying it and like screaming like whoa oh baby (laughs) and like just like go into town like who is that they come up and i guess dom is like dude i've 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 followed all your stats like i know who you are yeah and he's like well yeah i joined the coalition because i can't have thrashball without people
1: right yeah exactly so there there's some cool side characters you get to meet and they start to become you know a part of this squad with you Mm -hmm. one thing that i really liked are sort of the boss battles within this game and we'll talk about Mm -hmm. the gameplay a little bit more but especially the general ram boss fight i remember just where he has he kind of turns into bats and yeah, there's yeah, all these yeah. bats that are sort of shielding him and coming down from the sky it's those bats that in certain missions you have to try and avoid by staying in the light and yes. so you finally see where all that stuff's been coming from in general ram and that's definitely a memorable final boss fight for me i remember it being challenging enough but not so crazy that i could never finish it which happens to me a lot more than i'd like to admit mm-hmm. yeah man just a really great way to to wrap up this game
0: oh yeah it, it's it continues on throughout the, the later series but the first one definitely set that precedent story-wise gameplay mechanic-wise boss-wise done really well this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down.
1: So with that, let's move into the gameplay. Gears of War is a third-person shooter that places emphasis on using cover to avoid taking damage while moving towards enemy forces. The game uses a number of weapons, as we've said, but predominantly featured is the Lancer Assault Rifle, a.k.a. the Chainsaw Gun, which can deal melee damage at close range and give you them giblets. Playable, (laughs) gotta get get them (laughs) gibbies. Playable characters can carry two primary weapons, grenades, and a smaller secondary weapon, such as the snub pistol. Mm -hmm. Weapons are reloaded with the tap of an RB button, and a second tap within a given time, aka the active reload, rewards the player with a damage bonus. However, failing to perform the active reload correctly will cause the gun to become momentarily jammed, while the player's character fixes it.
0: That... I really enjoyed that was really fun and gave you a reason to have to pay attention while behind cover or fighting because yeah, get that little damage bonus. Cause there was like two sweet spots. It was like the super sweet spot, which is like the perfect timing yep. and like a little leeway after it to give you those two different damage bonuses. But it was, it was just cool when like each gun had a moment for that, for like either jamming or getting that perfect reload. And it made the battles a little more hectic
1: and it was, I mean, it was a risk to do it. If you just wanted to like, let the bar run all the way through and not touch it, you know, you'd get a clean reload. But mm-hmm. if you did it a little bit too early, that was the worst jam oh, that yeah. you could have. And so I remember you and I playing this game couch co-op style and it being pretty intense like you and I are trying to fight off multiple locusts coming at us. And it's like, oh, no, I'm jammed. Oh, no, he's turning the corner. Oh, no, I just got shotgun blasted in the it, face. Please come save me.
0: Oh, yeah, especially with weapons like the sniper rifle or any of the heavies that took just a while where you like to see the character like trying to take, like just mashing the gun and just like, come on, god damn it, yeah, Just yep. basically dadding it up for a while while the gun's <laughs> stuck.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like equivalent to dad working on the car in the garage, just cursing <laughs> yeah. under his breath for no, re- no yep, reason. Yeah, pretty much. When the player takes damage, the Crimson Omen, a red cog representing the player's health gauge, will fade into the screen, becoming more defined with larger amounts of damage. The player can seek cover to recover their health, but if they take too much damage, they'll become incapacitated. So it's just one of those, uh, find some cover,
0: let the thing fade back out, and you're good to mm-hmm. go. It was very much in that era of the regenerative regenerative health. Um, you know, Think Call of Duty, think Halo 2 where you just had like shields or you had like the blood on your screen would finally go away. So it just made hunting for health packs kind of thing you didn't have to do. Exactly.
1: And unfortunately, once you did finally become incapacitated, a skull will fill the center void of the omen. The whole screen turns red. Mm -hmm. If you're playing co-op, the player can then be revived by a teammate. Or if they don't get to you in time, an enemy can come over and execute you. And you will remain incapacitated until you bleed out. So there is a time limit, essentially, where you will die from blood loss. And in the co-op, I think you just revive once the locusts are are gone. But that means that your partner has to kind of do the rest of the fight without you, which can be really challenging. And if you play solo, that's where you have to load back in from whatever your last Mm -hmm. checkpoint was.
0: And that's where I think the game actually becomes extremely difficult. The game features a five act campaign that can be played alone or cooperative with another player. And as we had said, the campaign focuses on Marcus Phoenix and Dom Santiago with Delta Squad attempting to wipe the Locust out. The player is joined by AI teammates that will help fight the Locust. Certain sections of the campaign feature two paths that can be taken as selected by the first player. If there is a second player, their character will automatically take the other. So I remember this. Sometimes it's like, do we go high ground or do we go low, like and around and surprise them? So you'd, so two cogs would go left, two cogs would go right, and then you'd have to fight separately. Eventually, you'd, you know, you'd come back where that fork ended, but it was, it was an interesting way to do that.
1: And so, yeah, you'd get a partner to go with you. It'd, it'd be a cold trainer, Damian Baird, the protagonist from Gears 4, uh, would kind of go with you. And I remember sometimes, I th- I think it was path dependent, and so one of us would be trying to always pick the path that Coltrane was going to go on, mm-hmm. and one of us would try and uh, with Baird. I mean, I don't think anyone wanted to go with Baird. And no, Gears he, just, one, he would just so.
0: complain. He would just complain to you while Cole was just wooing it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, so one of you is having a ton of fun, and one of you's like, "Oh my God, Baird,
0: shut up, <laughs> Baird!" Just I'd rather just die right now than have to listen to this. <laughs> and so finally, the game and the campaign can be played at three difficulty settings in the first mode. From easiest to hardest, there's casual, hardcore, and insane. Insane difficulty is unlocked once the game is beaten on either casual or hardcore difficulty. So kind of given a little bit more replayability as well to say, okay, you don't get the hardest to start. You got to go through once, and then you can play it through on insane if you are insane. And of course, this
1: was back when achievements were introduced. Mm-hmm. And so there was an achievement, if I remember correctly, to play on Hardcore. So just another incentive to go back and
0: play the game again. Yeah. And so, yeah, play through Hardcore the first time, play through Insane the second time. And then that way you get those achievements for it. And like, it gives you the challenge. It gives you some fun stuff to try and play around. Like, hey, I should probably use cover more. Hey, I should probably avoid just sprinting at the enemy like I did on Casual. <laughs> Derek style. <laughs> yeah, I should avoid. This is this is anti-Derek style right now. What are we doing with this? Maybe that's why I find this game so hard
1: to play alone because I don't know how to play strategically. I'm well, just, and, here, and here's the thing: I need they you to you save the,
0: me. They give you the lancer, so you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not staying back. I'm sprinting ahead and holding B yep. with my chainsaw just up as I'm running towards them across the battlefield. Yep. Of course, what I'm doing. So on that topic. Multiplayer
1: Gears of War features up to 4 on 4 competitive gameplay with teams representing the Gears or the Locust. Players must execute down foes, otherwise, these will revive after a time, so sort of the opposite of the campaign. Mm -hmm. In assassination matches, the team's leader is the only one that can track the other team's leader and pick up new weapons, after which, teammates can pick them up with a goal to eliminate the foe's leader. An Xbox 360 patch added the Annex mode which is similar to King of the Hill, in which players must try to control a shifting control point for a certain amount of time to win. That was my favorite game mode, by the way. I don't know about mm-hmm. you. The PC version of Gears introduced King of the Hill, a mode not present in the Xbox 360 version, which uses a fixed control point, but varies the conditions on which it is
0: controlled. So yeah, so, so it's similar to Annex. but doesn't move, and you have to have, like let's say, two people in it at a time to even earn a score. Whereas Annex is just kind of like go into it. As long as you have one in there, you can do it. So it changes it up, gives a little variety, especially with a stationary hill versus a movement one. So it was, it was a neat addition to it. And kind of, I mean, it's a staple of gaming. King of the Hill has been around forever. Yeah. So to bring that in was is smart. Did we play a lot of multiplayer?
1: I, I don't remember playing multiplayer on Gears as much on the first one.
0: Not really online. I think gears two and three, I played a lot more online multiplayer, especially when horde mode was added in the oh, later ones. Yeah. Where you could do like a fixed control point or a, a quote unquote somewhat tower defense. That's really where gears I sunk my teeth into gears. And you know, they did that with uh Halo ODST when they added Firefight in, which was which was horde mode basically, and I played the heck out of that. So so that's definitely where I sunk it in. But still, the multiplayer in this was fun because it was unlike any AAA a titled shooter that at least I was playing at the time where it was a bit more strategy than just the running gun call of duty or kind of the overpowered, you know, halo getting power weapons. This involves strategy and cover location and being like, cause since you can look over your cover, you can be like, okay, there's two enemy locust players up there. One's got the hammer of dawn. One's got the longbow, you know, What are we gonna do about all we got? Is shotties right now. Let's let's sprint up. Let's take the cover. So it was definitely a lot more of like an organized team mode than a lot of other games.
1: And the longer you lasted, the less ammunition that you would have. You had to Mm -hmm. be very particular. I mean, I remember that being
0: a ton of fun for sure. It was great because you know, comparing it to Halo again, it still had its power weapons. You could still find these power weapons around the map that definitely made a huge difference. So you kind of either camped those where you knew where the enemy was going. So you like, okay, they're definitely going to have, you know, something way overpowered, a sniper rifle or something. So we're going to have to watch out for that. Let's go and try and claim it for ourselves. Uh-oh, Derek's down. We're down one. What are we going to do? So it was definitely a very more strategic game and definitely helped if you had comms or if you're playing with friends and kind of like could understand where people were going or what people's strengths and weaknesses were fighting through it. Yeah. So definitely more of a strategy style than we see with some other games. So there was, as we had said, you know, there was, there was some patches, there was the updates to the PC version we're eventually getting. We eventually do get it. Let's talk about the DLC that was added and what it brought to it. Epic Games began working on new content for Gears of War in August of 2006. The updates would remain free, according to Epic Games president, Mike Caps. The first of these updates was released over Xbox Live on January 9th, 2007, with two new maps released the following day on January 10th the two maps reflected background scenes from the game's storyline, known as Raven Down and Old Bones, which depict Gears fighting Locust amidst the crash site of a King Raven chopper and a museum. Another update was released for Gears of War on January 22, 2007, which, according to Epic Games' Mark Ryan, is said to fix some compatibility issues with the release of Gears of War in Japan and that no gameplay or functionality features were changed. On April 9, 2007, Epic Games released their third update, containing a new game mode, as we had said, Annex, which requires teams to capture and hold certain areas of each map, as well as additional gameplay tweaks and fixing up some glitches, bugs, and exploits. The update, as always, was free of charge. Epic Games initially said that four
1: new maps would be released in conjunction with the third patch. However, due to disagreements between Microsoft and Epic Games, Epic decided instead to put these maps on sale at a reasonable price, then make them free a few months later, according to Mark Ryan of Epic Games. The map pack, titled Hidden Fronts, was released on Xbox Live Marketplace on May 3, 2007, and included the maps Bullet Marsh, Garden, Process, and Subway. Free downloads of these maps were made available on September 3, 2007, four months after their initial release. A fourth update on June 14, 2007 added 250 additional achievement points, bringing the total possible achievement points to 1,250, and eight achievements related to Annex mode and the maps from Hidden Fronts. Additionally, the update includes improvement of roadie run to keep the player from sticking to cover areas, and a patch to prevent the Annex clock from counting during connection errors. Other housekeeping issues were also addressed.
0: Yeah, so just just a lot of cleaning house things, just making sure maps worked, making sure like on you know during annex if you have a connection issue it pauses and the the clock's just not ticking down because you could just like if you're winning, Derek just quit. Yeah, and then then join and then I'll quit and then we'll just let that clock keep running and then we'll just win. Yep. So definitely some fixes, but you know, uh, let us know what your opinion is that of them releasing the maps for cost and then free later, you know, because they had promised everything for free, but it, it but still it makes sense to charge. It's new content. That's not something that they messed up on or that needed to be there. It's just additional things. So I think it's to me I'm fine with that. For 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 DLC
1: that they have to buy. It makes me more upset, I think, that they made it free only four months later. If they had just mm-hmm. kept it paid, I don't think that would bother me as much, but I don't necessarily love that that window was that short. I mean, maybe if it was like a year or something, when they saw maybe declining gameplay and then they say, okay, well, now all this stuff is free, that would make sense to me, but four months seems a little too fast.
0: Yeah, and obviously we don't really see anything like that now. Everything's just kind of what it is and it costs that. And at that time, I think you had a lot of stuff that was like that. Because I know Halo 2, having map packs, did things along those lines. And I think it was just such a new idea of digital currency digital downloads that if people wanted to play it right now boom you got it so you know it's 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 a give and take honestly between the two of them let's bring it over let's talk about ports bringing it to the pc even though that wasn't gonna be a thing that they started with and where that audience found it news of the franchise's future has emerged multiple times since the game's release pc gamer accidentally released an image in its 2006 holiday issue where Gears of War can be seen in a Games for Windows display, which led to suspicion that Gears of War would be coming for the PC. However, the image was later stated to be a mock-up. Possible pictures were released on February 13, 2007, leading to more suspicion of Gears on the PC. In an interview with Xbox fan site Team Xbox, Mark Ryan stated that the game would eventually come to the PC. Epic was not currently ready to release it on that format, but the upcoming release of Unreal Tournament 3 was helping Epic get optimization on the PC. On July 11,
1: 2007, at the E3 conference, it was revealed that Gears of War would indeed be released for Windows. New features include three new multiplayer maps, an extension of five new single-player chapters to Act 5, which describes events of Delta Squad escaping a giant brewmock between Acts 4 and 5, which Mark Rain claims is about twenty percent extra over the existing xbox three sixty content, and games for Windows Live support integrated into Unreal Engine Three when asked about bringing the additional content to the xbox three sixty version, Mark Ryan of Epic Games stated that it is unlikely we will bring that content to three sixty. He then states, unfortunately, the version it's built on is not really compatible with the three sixty and so it would involve a massive patch, a patch larger than all five we've done so far to Gears of War to do that. Additionally, the PC and Xbox 360 versions will not allow for cross-platform play. Cliff Blazensky stated that, while this feature does add value, it just wasn't that desired nor worth the extra months of design and development time. We want Gears of War to be out this holiday on PC. This news angered many owners of Gears of War on the Xbox 360 due to the game no longer living up to its exclusively for the Xbox 360 title and not receiving the additional content. Mark Ryan noted that despite the original label of the game as an Xbox 360 exclusive, Microsoft allowed them to develop the game as part of the Games for Windows moniker, as had been done
0: previously with Halo 2. And I'm going to have to agree with that. You know, I'm I don't know, man. I'm I'm not a console player. I'm 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 I've risen to the greatness of the PC. I mean, honestly, I just I have to work on a PC, so it's just easier to switch between the two. I don't really care about exclusivity. My opinion, I know other people have it, and I get that this was kind of like exclusive to the Xbox. But but were you were you like tossing a coin in the air, being like, I don't know, man, do I get a PC or an Xbox? Gears is only on Xbox? Okay, I guess I'm going with an Xbox then. (laughs) Like, that's not what it was. I mean, come on. That stuff doesn't
1: really bother me. I mean, I never played all this extra content, obviously. I'm, I'm not a PC gamer. I am a console gamer. And so even with that said, with you getting that big of a head start on everything, there's just things within the PC that you can do that you can't do on a console. And I understand that and a lot of times you end up getting the games on console first before they ever come to PC. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of a trade-off there. Now, as PC has become a more prominent way of gaming, I think that we're starting to see less of that stuff anyway. Yeah. At the time, I understand, I guess, a few people. There's never going to be an entirety of people that are happy, of course, but I was not one of those people.
0: And you have to figure most of the time it's that vocal minority that is just screaming into the ether about like what they want or they're the same people who scream about when a game gets delayed, that this is the worst thing to happen to gaming ever. Yeah. Why would you do this to me personally? Why did you, why did you not release my game to me at this predestined date? So I think it's, I think it's that same idea with it. And, you know, had this been later on, because right now, especially in Microsoft terms, They're not really doing that because cross play, cross platform, has become such a buzzword in the last few years Mm -hmm. that that's what people want. Like, you know, you you have a PlayStation, I have a PC. It's great for some of the games that you and I get to play together that are cross platform, cross cross play. Yep, because that's the reality of gaming. Like, not everyone's going to buy all three consoles every single time. Yeah, and
1: I definitely like even when I was younger and like I had way more time to play games. I still didn't really want to do that. I never owned a PlayStation 3. Um, I just had the Xbox and I had a Wii as well. I think that's how a lot of people do it. But yeah, it's. Um, I think the content conversation around this time was really controversial. We've kind of talked about it in past episodes with the development time having some kind of lag between the point where they go gold or get ready to have this product be put into production and it Mm -hmm. leaves them the extra time to make dlc and then at this time people were really i think getting used to the dlc ideas and they didn't love it they didn't love that they had to pay for stuff that they felt like could have been included in the game yeah totally agree with that
0: so to wrap up you know this these ports a patch was released on November 28th to fix performance issues and also the Games for Windows live update issue. The patch was only released for American and Western European versions of the game. Legitimate purchasers of the Eastern European and Russian versions were informed that, quote, the game would continue to function without the patch (laughs) and never (laughs) issued a corresponding version. Yeah, guys, it'll it'll work. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) A Mac OS version was confirmed by Mark Ryan at the end of E3. On the Game Head television program on July 14, 2007, along with Unreal Tournament 3, but no release time frame was specified and uh, still not there.
1: Oh, man. I, I hey, almost got hey. excited for a second. I was like, oh, Mac OS versions there? Hey, yeah. it's coming, Derek. It's
0: coming. <laughs> it was confirmed in 2007. 14 years later, here we come.
1: Oh, baby. An issue with a digital certificate used to sign certain game-critical files as part of the anti-cheat mechanism, expired on January 28, 2009, and it rendered the game unplayable without a temporary workaround of resetting the system clock to before the certificate expired. Initial information from sources led people to believe the issue was related to DRM within the game. Epic later acknowledged the problem, claiming it was not in relation to a form of DRM, but instead to a form of anti-cheat, and notified end users that they were, quote, working with Microsoft to get it resolved. This issue was corrected as of February 6, 2009, with a downloadable patch. That's a, that's a, little, big of
0: a little bit of a big whoopsie.
1: Just uh, yeah, just a small...
0: Sorry, guys. Why are you cheating so much? <laughs> well, why, well, hey, why you be cheating? I see everybody's
1: cheating right now. <laughs> so no one's playing. We're planning. taking your game away for a month until you learn to not
0: <laughs> cheat. Uh, hey. The little things. Uh, one thing that is somewhat still in the works because we're in we're now in the era of video game movies once again. We're gonna see Borderlands, Halo TV show, Uncharted. So of course we gotta talk about the Gears of War movie. In 2007, New Line Cinema would acquire the rights to create a Gears of War movie. Originally, New Line was having writer Stuart Beatty write the script for the movie. He played the game several times and visited the studio while writing it. Since Epic owned the rights to the Gears of War IP, anything written or taken out of the movie would have to be approved by them. Eventually, Len Wiseman was brought in as director, but then the original script was rewritten by Chris Morgan. The movie was supposed to be released in 2009, but Wiseman said that there was a hard deadline for the movie since he wanted to do it right. Eventually, the movie fell into development hell with uh, no end in sight. In 2016, Universal Studios announced that they were going to be doing a Gears of War film with producers Scott Stuber and Dylan Clark. So, again, the mid-late 2000s was a super development hell for a lot of video game movies. It just also wasn't the time yet. Because you look at a lot of the films we got around there, I I just don't think CGI and major studios at least for the money, could handle what they could do now. Like, there's only a couple major studios, like Weta, you know, doing Lord of the Rings, that could really give you that good, good CGI, but for a, a very hefty budget. Oh, yeah. And these game films didn't
1: really have that. I don't know about you. I was never very interested in movies being done for video games, and mm-hmm. I'm still not. I just feel like it's... They're... Because there's so much, so many hours put into a video game where a movie is really only like two or three or something, I just feel like it's a good opportunity for gamers to be disappointed again. I mean, we're already talking about the disappointment with not having the PC content. Any content left out of the movie that was in the game that a person thought was cool is just going to be open for criticism. It would Mm -hmm. be so difficult, I think, to make a
0: highly rated movie for both film critics and gamers. We are getting there. I will say I'm very excited about Uncharted because we do have our very own Spider-Man playing the lead role as Nathan Drake. Mm -hmm. So there, and the, the casting choice and some of the screenshots that people have seen so far look super promising. However, the Uncharted series was already written, directed and played as a movie like an Indiana Jones-style thing, yeah. so it already lends itself to it as an interpretation.
1: And the Uncharted games, too, because they're more humanoid. Fo- yes. You know, it's not like the locust. It's not like the elites, in, you know, where you would have to do either some kind of crazy makeup or some kind of very, very good CGI. I think you mm-hmm. can get away with a movie like Uncharted a little bit more. But these yes. ones like Gears of War and and Halo was obviously rumored for a long time, still is. I think that those would be really hard to do.
0: And we'll see. I mean, we've, we've seen the casting for the Halo TV show, which is filming right now. Yep. And I, I, guess, I guess the only word that you can say with any of this is it's promising. We'll have to see what the end result is, you know, especially with a TV program that has a lower budget per episode. So you have to see. So, you know, it's up in the air. Um, honestly, the only superhero or, I'm going to say it, superhero or game film that stayed true honestly true to the source material <laughs> oh
1: man i know what you're going to say i know oh movie? my god i knew you're going to say it that movie's <laughs> so bad dude let
0: it go <laughs> no 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 here's the thing i don't know if you saw the news lately fans just added 30 more minutes to the film yeah i saw so it's made it perfect now it was already perfect before but it is hands down almost like, if you watch the movie or play Super Mario Bros. 2, there's almost no difference. <laughs> Kid me watching that movie.
1: I'm still confused. I'm still baffled. I've never really moved on. Still got a, a place. It's taking up valuable proteins in my brain that I wish <laughs> I could just
0: delete. So, so yeah. So, on, on the, the tangent of film, Super Mario Bros. Top tier. Gears of War. We'll see if we ever get it. That's <laughs> all you got to take out of that conversation. <laughs> Let's talk about the
1: music. The Gears of War original game soundtrack was composed by Kevin Ripple, who joined the project in February 2005 when development was about halfway complete. After previously working with Epic Games on the soundtracks for Unreal Tournament 2003, 2004, and Unreal Championship 2, Ripple was asked to write the main themes for the early-staged Gears of War. Epic was so impressed with his work that they asked him to write the rest of the music and were adamant on keeping him close during development. When asked if he had any trouble writing for the soundtrack during an interview with IGN, Ripple replied, Not so much. It seems as though the music that this game called for required me to enter a dark hidden room in my psyche. Over the years of writing for games in somewhat dark overtones, I've noticed that this path to my room
0: is a bit easier for me to travel than it should be. Okay, okay, so we're dealing with uh, with the psychopath right in this game for the music. I love it, I love it. Continue.
1: Ripple used all the materials he could get his hands on from developers to create as many ideas, motifs, and rhythms as possible. From there, he constructed a pool of ideas that he could then grab from later and expand upon. Ripple would use a combination of organic and electric sounds to convey the game's feeling of destroyed beauty. All electronic sounds were from music samples, which he then altered and resampled in order to create an original ambiance for the soundtrack. The organic portion of the soundtrack featured a full symphonic orchestra of brass, percussion, woodwinds, and strings. Ripple wanted the organic sounds present in the music in order to give the game unsettling beds of dark and menace, otherwise known as psychopath tones. Well, yes, <laughs> of course while still keeping the music natural sounding, like the ruins of a once-beautiful city. This was achieved by incorporating mechanical percussive
0: elements, resampled explosions, and large orchestral hits. The Gears of War original soundtrack was released on July 31, 2007 through Something Else Music Works and contains 28 tracks totaling 69 minutes, yeah, and 8 <laughs> seconds. The Symphonic Orchestra was released in Seattle, Washington by the Northwest Symphonia Orchestra, and conducted by Corey Status. Gears of War, the title track for the game, was written and performed by the thrash metal band Megadeth at your local Six Flags. <laughs> While an instrumental version of the song was included in the soundtrack, the Megadeth version would be part of their 2007 album, United Abominations. To help promote the game, Microsoft would sponsor Megadeth as the headliner for Gigantor, a 25-stop tour to help promote the launch of the Gears of War game I really hope that twenty-five GameStop was just twenty-five Six Flags. You hey said, guys, we got one song out here where Megadeth. You said a twenty-five GameStop.
1: <laughs> They're just going yeah, around stops, playing right. all these Game Stops. No, it wasn't Six Flags. It was Game Stops. They just shoved the con- <laughs> like the bins to the side, set up everything, and just blew people out the door. That was when the dollar bins really like hit. They're like, we got to get all this
0: stuff out of here. Megadeth's gonna come. <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, and there is, you know, other like CDs some vinyl things floating around for gears. I own none of it. The gear soundtrack is great, but just give me just give me Mad World 10 times on a vinyl. I'm fine. (laughs) That's all I need. Uh, So let's jump over to the release version. So you obviously had your standard version for the 360, the limited collector's edition. This edition includes a steel case instead of the regular plastic case, and an extra disc, which contains artworks of environments and stages, including locusts, that did not make it into the game, and extra content and behind-scenes footage of the making of Gears of War. The disc also contains a time-lapse of the creation of the Emergence mural, so the E-Day mural. The game's disc and case also have a different cover and instead feature the omen background. So that red skull within the cog. I believe this dying. was the version you had, was it not? Yes. Oh, you know I got You know I got to have it. Another of the collector's edition's extras is a book titled Destroyed Beauty, which illustrates the game's backstory and includes concepts, sketches, and descriptions of the game's characters. So very similar to what they were talking about, they wanted the soundtrack that destroyed beauty, that idea that like this was all once Metropolis and now. And now, unfortunately, it is not. We also had the Platinum Edition and the Ultimate Edition. During a press conference at E3 2015, Microsoft announced a remaster of Gears of War entitled Gears of War Ultimate Edition. It brought about a number of improvements, including updates to the gameplay from later titles, and enhanced graphics featuring remodeled characters, environmental assets, and other stylistic changes. It was subsequently released worldwide for the Xbox One, In north america and asia pacific countries on august 25th 2015 in europe on august 28th and microsoft windows on march 1st 2016. and finally we had that pc one which included all of the updates of the time and those extra maps and extra game bits that we didn't see on the xbox 360.
1: so let's talk about how this game was received as epic started working on gears of war they knew that it needed to not only carry the Xbox 360's launch, but also carry itself as the start of a franchise. When it first debuted at E3 2005, it won 11 awards. The game would receive Best Game, Best Technology, and Best Visual Art awards from the GDC 2007 Developers' Choice Awards, along with dozens of other awards from various reviewers. It would go on to land a 94 out of 100 on Metacritic. On November 20th, 2006, only 13 days after the game was released, it would surpass Halo 2 with the most played multiplayer matches on Xbox Live. The game would sell over 1 million units only two weeks after it was released, outselling Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter and Call of Duty 2, and would become the second fastest selling Xbox game in the UK, right behind Halo 2. 2 million copies were sold by Christmas, making it the best-selling video game in 2006 and was still the third best-selling video game by January 2007. It fared well in Japan, debuting as the 7th highest-selling game in the country the week it released January 12, 2007, selling
0: 33,312 copies. After the game was released, some rumors would start circulating in forums from a leak that Gears of War is a planned trilogy. Epic Games Vice President Mark Ryan would comment on a post saying that if fans loved the game, why would stop at 3? Many popular video game series have been releasing games for years, so why wouldn't they? It was very obvious that many elements of the game were very ambiguous, and there were areas that needed to be expanded upon. Granted, some of these would come from the novels and comics that would be released years later, but fans all but knew that a second Gears of War title was coming. Plus, Cliff Blazinski mentioned, working on a sequel during a GDC presentation in 2007. The combat system from Gears would see itself in several titles in the future, you know, such as like the Grand Theft Auto series and plenty of other shooters and even some platformers. It was innovative and fun to play. Epic Games would roll with the punches when it came to adapting their new IP to the modern shooter standard and would innovate it along the way. The game stands out for its over-the-top gore, its giblets, some might say, art style, and overall combat system. The Thanksgiving of shooters. (laughs) Gears of War is solid proof that there will always be a way to change the way gamers look and play with their own styles. The story alone has captivated fans for years to come, spawning into books and comics and games and just so much lore around it. 14 years later, we are still getting mainline games released along with spinoffs. It's hard to think that you know, from these beginnings of Unreal, and this kind of capstone or bookend of Fortnite, like right in the middle, we had like this little ambiguous time of Epic, you know, creating this Gears series, continuing on with it, you know, that again, many older players might not have known about as well as younger players or newer players, you know, kind of on those two bookends of it. And I want to wrap this up with this quote from the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences stating, 2006 goes down in gaming history as the year of Gears of War. With hundreds of awards and nominations to its credit, No other game that year had as much commercial and critical impact as Gears. All the big gaming sites had their say, and it turns out they liked it a lot. Gears also received a hefty helping of acclaim from the games industry, picking best awards up left and right. So, you know, it's as to say, like, that was the pinnacle that needed to happen. And I think, really, Gears came at the perfect time the perfect place with the perfect setting. I mean, the stars aligned for what they released. You know, there, there are some faults to the game that, you know, some people may see. Some people might not, have, might not have loved the cover system or the combat, but it was refreshing to jump into something that was third person, that had a cover system, that had these variations of futuristic guns, but also this older technology. And that's really why I think Gears of War has continued. It's It's kind of like the second mascot of Xbox behind Master Chief. So I would I would
1: definitely agree with that. This was one of those titles that came out for Xbox 360 that I knew I wanted an Xbox because of Halo. I knew that mm-hmm. I wanted to continue playing and play Halo 3, of course, because Halo 2 just ended on that cliffhanger. I knew I was going to need it. When I got Gears of War, Um, I think it was after playing it with you. I mean, just I remember such a unique type of co-op campaign. And the fact that they really tried to push this from a multiplayer cooperative campaign type of ideal, I think that that's what ultimately led to a lot of the game's success. It definitely led me to falling in love with this game because it's one of the most fun like couch co-op games that you could ever play, I think. And... Obviously, yeah, it did have some problems. I think that the overemphasis on the co-op stuff meant that sometimes when you're playing it alone, it feels a little bit lonely. Yeah, you have the NPCs there, the teams there with you, but it can feel just kind of frustrating and overly challenging for no particular reason. I think if I had to give this game a rating, which I'm going to with the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, standard, mm -hmm. widely accepted numbering system, I'm going to go with an eight. Out of 10.
0: Good old 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10.
1: I like this game a lot, man. This is a game Mm -hmm. that I have gone back and played many times by myself and with other people. I think that it's a nice start into the Gears of War franchise. Obviously, knowing the context of some of the later games makes the story in this one a little bit more complete. It, It makes the game a little bit more fun for me. I really liked those missions where you did have to pick what path you were going to take. Yes. And I also really liked the missions that you had to do at nighttime where there were different elements of danger. You were used to, you know, doing missions at night. Sure. But when you have to do that mission where if you don't stay in the light, not only are you getting attacked by other locusts, you're also getting attacked by like the locust bat things. That to me just created like a a cool element, a reason to use the cover system in a different way. I like that they explored that kind of idea.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: I just didn't always love. Sometimes the, I think the AI was a little bit too smart. They could kind of see you through whatever cover you were in. So all of a sudden, you know, you've covered up. There's no way that they've seen you, but they just run straight at you. And
0: Yeah, there's not... not, I don't want to say a stealth element, but like a a surprise element that like you got there. But like you're saying, it's like, okay, he's behind that fallen pillar. Yeah.
1: And sometimes your squad mates, the NPCs, weren't the best at kind of covering you in those situations where if -hmm. you did have a real life person, I could say, hey, Alex, I'm going to try and run up here. Will you give me some covering fire? And then you shoot at whatever guys start coming my way. And then that way we can get sort of an edge working together. You couldn't do that with the NPCs the same sure. way. So really fun game. I would love to go back and co-op this game again. And really like the first three Gears of War titles. Because I just love those games that much. But those are the only criticisms
0: for me. Okay, okay. It's, hey, valid, but invalidated by a terrible rating system. So <laughs> point is moot at this point. Um, so if, if I'm going through it, you know, I agree with all those points. Like it was, it was a staple in the industry. It was super fun. You know, it's it's fun to have the nostalgic goggles for it. So if I go back and state when I played it, then it was such a replayable game. You know, all the points you made, plus the diversity of the weaponry. You know, having like the longbow, the hammer of dawn, the different handguns. Could you like that Magnum or just like the Locust pistol? Um, the the garbage locust rifle I never used, because I'm like, that doesn't have a chainsaw. That's a burst. No, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Always disappointing
1: so, when you'd lose the Lancer and be stuck with that piece of garbage. Oh, yeah,
0: and you'd have that whole deal going with it, and it was just, I don't know, it was an experience that was a little different in weaponry. Again, having this modernistic, plus some like subterranean alien, plus past weaponry, I don't know. It was just worth it. The weapons made it fun especially having those power weapons in multiplayer, especially just anything that went along with the game that added substance was great for multiplayer. And the story as well. The story is so cool. The characters, as much as people hate Baird, I like him in the later games, but as much as people hate on him, he played such a good like panicky, manic character who just, like, you couldn't appease. He's like the Eeyore of the group. <laughs> he really was. But Cole, Cole was amazing. Even Kim, before Kim, you know, in the first few missions, dies. Just really well done. Just really well scripted. I thought it was amazing. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it a woo baby, plus a here comes the coal train, minus Baird complaining over those really good coal lines. Add in being... A menace to society and hammer of dawning your teammates while they're down, just to say, "Ha ha, look at you." And then divide that by the two paths you have to take sometimes, tearing the team apart. Some might say, <laughs> out of so, flipping so the chainsaw off the ground to change your gun, out of Gears of War, uh, out of twelve. Hey, exactly. you saved it with the end there. I think that might be your best review yet. It might be. It might be. I mean, I was, I was from the heart and it was honest. It's, it's a little... I don't want to knock Metacritic. I think they're, they're a, a nice small startup. But I, I think I'm giving them a run for their money. Well, Metacritic, you know,
1: because they multiplied everything by 10, it's automatically the best. Like Rather
0: than doing 9.4, they're like, no, 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 no. 94 out of 100. You know what? I think you're right. Sorry, it's out of a 1,000. That's what mine's out of now. So even more numbers. Awesome.
1: Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall, Derek Baker, and Evan Barr. The intro music and outro music was composed and recorded by Evan Barr. Love them.
0: Hate them. Let us know what you think of them. I'm not included in that, but I am. Because it's third person Thursday, some might say. <laughs> but let's, let's thank those people that have been supporting us financially. Um, that really help bring this podcast about that gets little extra perks, and that's our patrons over at Patreon. So again, our patrons awesome. We got some bonus episodes coming out, post shows, posters, stickers, any other content. We're also doing some shifts with it too. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you should add, take out. Let us know. Let's thank them today. And we have Tactics, Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Cowan Fong Feliciano, Alex Harper, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Big Papa Semecki, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, William Kroll, Cameron Collier, and Mr. Toot. So thank you all for the support.
1: If you haven't yet, give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, join our Discord if you haven't. It's free. It's a lot of fun. Alex and I love interacting with everyone there and we have a good time.
0: Absolutely. And as always, catch us over at Twitch at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's S-O-U-R. MAN70, we're playing some new, some olds, some games that you guys want to play. Um, and as always, if you're looking for any of these links to the socials, the discords, Twitch, any of the content, check any of the links in bio, whether that's Instagram, in the description of this episode, on Anchor, YouTube, iTunes, wherever it is. You can find them there to be able to join with us.
1: And if you haven't yet, please leave us a review. It helps us out a lot, gives us great feedback, and we'd love to hear from you guys.
0: And with that, that is our coverage of Gears of War you know it's a staple of microsoft a great game if you haven't played it try out the definitive edition or the kind of new edition i should say the updated edition it's well worth it and with that i am your host alex kendall and i'm your host Derek baker and this is finish the fight a gaming podcast